Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful, eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. Today we'll talk about why the notion of us as tourists traveling through the universe and sampling many realities, why that's an important notion. And then I'll talk about the job to be done. You might remember uh, not too many episodes ago I subjected you to my singing of uh, As One Traveler, uh, for which Seth supplied the words. Now you might wonder why I'm talking about the notion of us as tourists instead of travelers. Well, that's because a traveler can have a destination that's very important to him or her, and in fact, it might be the only destination that the traveler has in mind. So by definition, on the other hand, a tourist is stopping by to take in the experience in a given locale and then get on with a lot of other experiences. So the one group of experiences in one locale is viewed as just a tiny portion of the tourist's overall bank of experiences. And that's how we have to start thinking of ourselves. Why? What good does it do? Isn't being aware of a lot of lives and reincarnations enough? Well, it helps tremendously compared to thinking that you have just one life or that after one death your consciousness no longer exists. The big drawback is it still leaves many of us thinking only about the world of form, that we wouldn't exist without some sort of form. Well, that's a limiting notion, limiting notion. As souls, we are not limited. To fully appreciate the tremendous power and breadth of ourselves, we need to get past the idea that we are limited to being in some sort of form. And we need to get past the notion that we exist only in time, so that there was a beginning and might be some end to our existence. As my introduction states, we are all eternal, powerful spirits, powerful co-creators, remember. And the concept of us being souls who go in and out of physical lives a number of times just isn't a big enough concept to contain or describe who we really are. Now imagine the freedom you could feel when you recognize that the entire series of lives that you live and all the good things you do are just one tiny manifestation of the many existences and the many realities that you co-create and experience. It kind of puts things in perspective. Now assume for a moment that we don't do very well in our probable version of earth life that all humans are killed in some monstrous struggle and the entire planet is no longer capable of sustaining human life as we understand it. Well, with just reincarnation, you might consider that to be a catastrophe, almost impossible to overcome. After all, to what planet could we return in order to learn and experience enough in this compressed school of learning that is, the human time-space illusion, so that we no longer needed to participate in it. Right? Starting all over on a new planet doesn't sound like an inviting proposition. 
It could conceivably mean getting started in what we now consider primitive conditions without any modern conveniences and the daily, we'd have the daily uh, need to hunt for our food and fight off other species, much as we imagine the, the cavemen must have existed. Now, worse than that, some might feel, would be the possibility that we just couldn't develop any further as humans, that development along the lines that we anticipate is closed off permanently. Now, comma, of more immediate concern, perhaps, is the world that we currently perceive and experience. In the narrow reality that we perceive with our five physical senses, things aren't going so well in many quarters. We have China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and even others now, all making threatening noises, and we can only wonder what they intend. Perceiving all of their threats within the narrow confines of reincarnational existence raises a lot of troublesome questions. Now, in addition, if the people who believe their God tells them to go out and kill others who don't believe, uh, as they do, if, if they are really junior souls or young souls who have a lot to learn yet, why do those of us who consider ourselves old souls, why do we have to coexist with them on this planet where the junior souls seem to be in command in many places? And if time and space do not exist in the spirit world, how can you have both young and old souls? Many who believe in reincarnation also believe in karma, where you're bound to undergo certain experiences because of actions in past lives. Now, while the entity Seth said that simply is not so, that we are not bound to undergo any experience, it is difficult for many of those who believe in karma to get past the notion when thinking only in terms of a narrow reincarnational experience for the soul, that's us. Now, the broadened, limitless perspective that opens up when we start to view our incarnational lives right, and our incarnational selves as just one stop in our never-ending journey of creating and experiencing, well, that's really a, uh, that's really a breathtaking, limitless perspective. Huh? We can now envision ourselves, after having completed the human time-space illusion, the reincarnational series of lives, we can envision ourselves co-creating thousands of beautiful, inspiring, super-enjoyable universes based on either non-physical or some very different types of physical worlds. Now, there's no end to our joy and excitement as we experience the results of our uh, unbounded creativity in millions of ways. Now, in some of them, uh, only feelings might predominate, in others, sound, while in others, varying degrees of intensity of thought and energy combine to create experiences of boundless, endless wonder. Now, from this perspective, we can understand that even if our world becomes dominated as it seems possible now, by souls who are focusing on greed, power, and punishment or death for anyone who dares confront them or fails to obey them. Not only is this a temporary illusion, right? it's just one of the millions or billions of realities that we as souls choose to participate in. From that perspective, 
we will know that in billions or trillions or more realities in which we are involved, evil does not exist even in illusionary form, that it doesn't really exist in this one except as our self-imposed physical senses tell us that without a doubt from our limited perspective, indeed, it does exist. Now, knowing we're tourists, we can cast aside any limiting notion of an eternity where our principal activity is, quote, adoring God. And instead, we can imagine an existence where, without end, we go on creating and enjoying and growing in our greater awareness as we go along, knowing we are at the same time filling our intended wonderful function of continually expending th- extending through our creations, right? Continually extending through our creations what God is and extending the ever-changing majesty of the ultimate creator. Now, it matters little whether we're 10 levels down from the ultimate creator or 10 quadrillion levels down. We have unending curiosity to fill, discoveries to uncover, inventions to create, and joy to multiply. Wow. From that perspective, it's difficult to feel all that bad, even if we experience one of the worst possible probabilities for our little camouflage reality civilization in our 21st century earthling reality. So that's why the tourist notion is important. So what's the job to be done? Well, the job in front of us, if we want to experience our tourist selves, it really, it's quite simple in one sense. We simply need to start realizing we're, we create our reality, that our thoughts and emotions ultimately bring about the world we experience, both on an individual and collective basis. So if tomorrow every person on earth realized all these things, and we all concluded we wanted to get, wanted to get there as soon as possible, Theoretically, we wouldn't have much of a problem manifesting a much better reality in a relatively short time. The problem, of course, is getting that many people to agree on and understand our true nature as spirits touring the universe. With this as just one stop along the way. Thinking in terms of broad categories of people, the easiest to get started in that direction would be all of those who already understand that they're eternal spirits who experience more than one life in our human time-space illusion. It isn't that much of a jump for them to conceive of themselves as spirits who are not limited to universes with form and matter, or to imagine that they can indeed co-create any reality they choose. Now, in the 2075 movement, which is both a book and the subject of some past podcasts, I assumed that Seth's one prediction about Saul who became Paul, the third of the three parts of the Christ personality, Paul returning to earth to set us straight about Christ's true message by the year 2075, would indeed come about. In that probability, we would start to understand our true nature as eternal powerful souls. And I theorized about the many ways in which our daily experience might change dramatically. And now it isn't that many years away, about 50 or so. So it's conceivable that many of us who are already heading in that direction would be on board by then. And of course, that's quite an optimistic projection. 
Now, strangely, it would not be all that surprising if atheists followed closely. Well, why atheists? Well, they've already rejected the old notion of a limited God who follows a reward-punishment model and wants everyone to bow down and adore him. That's understandable. Their lack of any entrenched notion of God and the afterlife frees them emotionally to serious, seriously <clears throat> consider broader explanations. They've jumped immediately from rejecting the old concept of God to insisting there can't be any God. Well, that's their mistake. But at least it leaves them open to accepting new explanations that make sense. So their minds and hearts would seemingly be more open to accepting themselves as tourist souls than those who are firmly committed to a fundamentalist religion where strict laws are set up by a creator who's willing to punish those who do not follow his commands and supposedly isn't averse to having humans who do obey him act as his agents, meeting out punishment here on earth to those who don't obey. Well, front and center in today's world that we're experiencing is political Islam. It's difficult to imagine that any true believer would accept a broader definition of ourselves. That's a true believer in political Islam. Those who act as Muhammad did and follow the instructions in the Quran and the other scholarly Muslim books are extremely tightly focused in on a reality where they are superior to other humans and they have a duty to kill many of those who do not bow to their dictates and follow Sharia law. They're convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that they'll be rewarded accordingly in the afterlife realm where they believe Muhammad reigns supreme. It's doubtful that uh, they ever thought beyond their existence with Muhammad. To think they'd accept a definition of reality where they're not special, where gay and lesbian people should not be killed just because they are, where women are not only equal to men, but are souls who live female and male lives. Well, all of that is totally beyond their imagination. Please note I'm speaking here of political Islam and the rabid followers of Muhammad, not the vast percentage of good Muslim people, some of whom I know personally and have the highest regard for. In fact, as you might expect, I have a lot of hope even for those who were responsible for 9-11, the bombing of the World Trade Center. Given Seth's prediction about the year 2075, I, for one, remain open uh, to the possibility uh, that they will, in fact, begin to realize these things. After all, the members of the Inquisition in the Middle Ages and early Renaissance, they thought they had a God-given duty to torture and execute those who did not believe as they did in the teachings of the Catholic Church. But that today is just a distant memory for Catholics alive today. Which brings us to one of the major points I want to make here. And as you look around you, you see Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, Syria. Any one of these countries could set off major military encounters, perhaps even leading to World War III, which very likely would not be anything like World War II. Now, with the threat of electromagnetic pulse bombs that would destroy our electric grid and our electronic communications, with simultaneous attacks on our water and our power systems, 
by al-Qaeda, ISIS, or any of the terrorists who've been entering our country for the last, what is it, uh, two years now that they've been entering? Um, With the threat of the uh, biological warfare that's possible, the dirty nuclear bombs and the cyber attacks that completely cripple our ability to respond, doesn't take that much imagination to envision the United States demolished in many physical respects, with over 90% of its citizens dead within a matter of weeks. Now, one of the best ways to prevent that would be to have more and more of the people on this earth coming to the realization that through the medium of our thoughts and emotions, we are indeed co-creators of our reality. How much more remote the possibility of World War III would be if we all saw reality in the way it's described by Seth. So while there's unlimited upside to a common agreement on these beliefs, there's also a huge downside for our probable version of reality if enough of us fail to come to these realizations. Now, getting enough of Earth's inhabitants to realize this is obviously not a simple task. And we can remember the Lumanians and their advanced capabilities. Well, they could not achieve it. Today, large numbers of atrocities are committed every day in the name of religion. Some prominent people proclaim that love and understanding and kindness can change the minds and hearts of those committing the atrocities. Well, that seems consistent with a lot of what Seth has said. But the question arises, are we developed enough to influence them? I'm not so sure. As Larry Lashan said in one of his books, Wars Have Been Fought, because people tried to apply the root assumptions of one reality to an entirely different one. Now, I continue to hold out the hope that in the probable future reality that I experience, enough of us will develop to the point where we can influence those who kill and torture in the name of religion to change their ways before we have to go through a major war, so that the world that was imagined in the 2075 movement actually comes about for us. Now, one factor that could help immensely in terms of shaping people's attitudes and beliefs toward this totally new perspective would be if many of the leading scientists around the globe were to get on board and proclaim this is indeed the way things are, contrary to what we've believed for the past 2,000 years. Scientists, after all, they've led us to new levels of capabilities. They've made life better for millions. They enjoy widespread respect, and their opinions carry a lot of weight in shaping the beliefs of a large part of the world's population. But will scientists be on board, or will they function as a major obstacle? That's hard to say. It's claimed by some that with the latest scientific discoveries, science and religion are coming together. Many scientists would dispute that. It's interesting, though, that 50 years ago, a number of prominent scientists that were studying communication with plant life came to the conclusion that realities exist beyond those we experience and that there are means of communications of which we're not yet aware, just as Seth explained. As noted earlier, one of them, Sir James Jeans, a distinguished British astronomer, mathematician, and physicist who died in 1946, he wrote the universe was beginning to look more like a great thought than a great machine and that mind no longer appears as an intruder in the world of matter, but perhaps ought to be hailed as its creator and governor. As I mentioned, uh, he was mentioned in the the 1972 bestseller, The Secret Life of Plants. 
Now, it's notable that for the most part, the scientists noted there were not seeking to prove the existence of those realities or those communications. Many were surprised by what they found. More recently, scientists experimenting with the Hadron Collider learned to their surprise that they as observers could affect the sub-microscopic particles they were experimenting with. They might not have been so surprised if they'd known about the uh, experiments by the scientists that were cited in The Secret Life of Plants. Um, <clears throat> there they would have also learned about Ingo Swan, who was able to affect the mechanism in Stanford University's most thoroughly shielded quark chamber. Right? It was buried deep underground in a vault of liquid helium, impenetrable to any known wavelength of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, but he was able to affect it, right? As noted earlier, um, around 1970, Seth mentioned that scientists were just discovering that their thoughts and emotions could affect matter, but they've yet to realize they create it. Regardless, science is making great strides every day in several fields, often much to our benefit. What are the odds that some of their discoveries will lead them to conclude that the realities described by the entity set Entity Seth are real? Well, given that some of them have already come to that conclusion, and they describe reality in much the same way that Seth does, the odds would seem to be pretty good. After all, the fantastic 40 theories and observations of the leading quantum physicists were all published and agreed upon by many of them almost 40 years ago. Now, the key to these ideas becoming widespread is Seth's notion of the universe as idea construction, which I mentioned earlier. He, we don't perceive objects, he contended there. He said, but rather, what we perceive is an idea that we have constructed about the object. Remember, remember, that's why when a pretty girl walks onto a dance floor where 40 people see her, there's not just one version of her. Each person perceives his or her own personal idea construction about her right? The idea they have constructed about her, so that the girl one perceives is never exactly the same as the girl perceived by others. Now, this corresponds closely to reality, as many of these physicists described in some of the Fantastic 40 theories. Now, it isn't easy to accept this is the way things really are, given all the evidence of our everyday five physical senses that uh, confront us, but that's the heart of the challenge. Instead of accepting and believing that all valid experience must come from what we perceive as external sources, we need to begin to accept that we can gain even more valid information from our inner selves, that part of us which has a much bigger perspective than us focused personalities, and that part that is aware of these other realities. Now, the problem for most of us there, including me, is <clears throat> that we are not accomplished meditators, but... That's no reason to give up on getting more in touch with our inner self. Seth stated we don't need to be regular meditators. That just periods of quiet contemplation or being immersed in a task or experience that we enjoy thoroughly, that can eventually lead us to the right so-called place. Now, fortunately, today we can also get a helping hand from technology, uh, the electronic files available from the Monroe Institute can get many of us to the Theta State quickly, for example. It's something that might take other year, otherwise years uh, of meditation to reach, right? 
Or as Seth, Edgar, Casey, and others have recommended, we can start paying a lot more attention to our dreams. This doesn't require any training. All you need to do is suggest to your inner self that you have certain experiences or solve certain problems or ask it to help you make the best choice for a major decision that you're facing. Gradually, you'll start to remember your dreams and to understand the messages that you receive in those dreams. This is actually a lot of fun, and, and when you realize that your physical life to this point is now memories, the ability to remember what you experienced in your dreams means you'll have the benefit of remembering more lives than just one. Now, some of my own dream memories from years past are more vivid to, to me now than many of my experiences in physical life. I, I've mentioned some of them in previous podcasts. So whether it's dreams or whether it's sounds from the Monroe Institute, whether it's meditation or just plain quiet relaxation in the course of doing something you love to do, the goal is to tap into the consciousness of your inner self, which is already yours anyway, and to begin to understand that the external world is a camouflage reality, that what you perceive is idea construction, not a separate external reality, and that you are a co-creator on the level of your inner self with some help from you, the focus personality. Right? You are the co-creator of all that you perceive. Well, that uh, concludes our session for today and concludes our discussion of the concept of us as tourists. And we'll move on to new ideas in the next session. Again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.